Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of JavaScript Jabber. This week on our panel, we have Steve Edwards. How are you from Portland? AJ O'Neill. Yo, yo, yo. Coming at you live from the Boxcar Children's Den. <laughs> right. We also have Amy Knight. Hey, hey, from Nashville. We've missed you, Amy. I have missed you, <laughs> I'm Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. I just scheduled a whole bunch of workshops for the next several weeks at uh, topendevs.com slash workshops. So go check that out. We have a special guest this week, and that is Faraz Abuka DJ. Hey, everyone. How's it going? Coming at you from San Francisco. Yo, it feels like it's been forever since we've had you on. What's what's new with you, Faraz? Well, a whole bunch of things. I, I started teaching a class at Stanford on web security. I started a company working on supply chain security, which we're going to talk a little bit about today. And I got engaged. A whole bunch of things. <laughs> Woo! Woohoo! Awesome. <laughs> hey, folks, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately, I've been working on actually building out Top End Devs. If you're interested, you can go to topendevs.com slash podcast, and you can actually hear a little bit more about my story, about why I'm doing what I'm doing with Top End Devs, why I changed it from uh, devchat.tv to Top End Devs. But what I really want to get into is that I have decided that I'm going to build the platform that I always wished I had with devchat.tv. And I renamed it to Top End Devs because I want to give you the resources that are going to help you to build the career that you want, right? So whether you want to be an influencer in tech, whether you want to go and just max out your salary and then go live a lifestyle with your family, your friends, or just traveling the world or whatever, I, I want to give you the resources that are going to help you do that. We're going to have career and leadership resources in there, and we're going to be giving you content on a regular basis to help you level up and max out your career. So go check it out at topendevs.com. If you sign up before my birthday, that's December 14th. If you sign up before my birthday, you can get 50% off the lifetime of your subscription. Once again, that's topendevs.com. So uh, I don't know how much value people are going to get out of uh, an engagement announcement, but it's <laughs> exciting. So let's talk about web security. <laughs> I don't know. You asked what happened, and those are the those are the one of no, the those are the big things. Pretty. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah, good deal. So yeah, so web security. Now you've you've been working on this stuff for for a little while, but and this is something I, I'm just going to set a little bit of the stage here because we've had conversations about this on Adventures in DevOps, but specifically about Solar Winds, which is supply chain security, which is what we're talking about here. Unless I'm wrong, right? Somebody got in to their build system and effectively inserted malware into their client when they built and that compromised all of the the other stuff. And I've been hearing about this more and more lately where people are, yeah, they're injecting stuff either into the packages you're using or they get onto your machine and do it there or you use a Docker container that has the malware you know, on it as your base and then you build from there. I mean, this, this is kind of frightening stuff because before it was just, you know, I just got to harden this thing so somebody can't get in on port 8080. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what are you goes, seeing? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I mean, everything goes out the window with the sort of traditional defense stuff when you start dealing with supply chain attacks, because now now you're you now you're actually worried about the contents of the, the code, you know, in the dependencies that you're using. And so it's it really makes you question your assumptions about what you're using and where you're getting all this code from. And, you know, most applications, most open source apps, most people's web apps are composed of, you know, 90, 95% open source code. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's just so many dependencies in the way that we write software. Things have really changed and people are no longer, no longer uh, writing an application and using a couple of dependencies. You know, the, the, the standard these days is that you, you usually have at least a thousand NPM dependencies. And that's just for a Hello World app. <laughs> 
you know? Uh, <laughs> no, right? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 both a blessing and a curse because by having so many wonderful open source packages out there, it helps us build software so much faster than we could before. So you have really small teams now able to build really powerful and and complicated applications by just grabbing all these open source packages off the shelf that, you know, it's like a buffet. There's all these open source packages out there. You can just grab as much mm-hmm. as you need and slap it all together. And, and then you add your little bit of custom code on the top, which really makes your apps unique. And, and so you can have a team of like two or three people build something really, really amazing. But yeah, it comes with some downsides for sure. And security and supply chain security specifically is definitely one of those things. So just tell me which packages not to use and, and then we can get <laughs> off the call. Yeah, I wish it was that easy. The problem is like, so say say you actually like want to vet a package completely before you use it. You want to read every line of code. First of all, mm-hmm. like that's just really hard to do, right? I mean, that's a thing that Usually you have to have some, I mean, the reason why you're using a, an open source package is usually because there's some complicated problem that you don't understand. You don't really want to have to go learn about and understand. You kind of want to just grab mm-hmm. it and, and use it as an encapsulated abstraction that you can just you can just grab and use. And so even auditing it to like look and see what it's doing is actually a thing that requires some amount of, of skill that you may not have. And then on top of that, right, there's, there's the amount of code that you'd have to audit. So, you know, some of these dependencies are really big. The sheer number of them is a problem. And then you also need some some idea of like what to be even looking for here. So, you know, we're not just interested in vulnerabilities. In other words, accidental bugs that the maintainer has introduced. We're also, we're also worried about uh, malware and intentional attacks being added. And that's, I guess, we can talk about some of the examples of that that have happened recently. But that's, that's the real thing that you're, you're looking for. You know, you want to look for changes in kind of what a package is doing. In a lot of these attacks, you'll see a package a package's behavior suddenly change. And whereas before it may have never talked to the network or read files on your computer, suddenly a new version is published that's reaching out to the network and sending your data off to some random server or running a cryptocurrency miner. And, you know, this is like such a departure in behavior that if you were actually to like look at the code, um, you might, you would see that, right? If you, if you really fully looked at every line of code, but there's, it's just not feasible in, in, on most teams, you know, you know to, to actually do that. Um, not to mention the number of dependency updates that are flying around these days. So I don't know if you've ever installed Dependabot or Renovate or one of these mm-hmm. bots that try to keep your dependencies up to date. But I get like five pull requests per day, basically. <laughs> and it, so even if you did that dependency really well, it's you know you're you're merging like five updates per day, and so the code that you're actually running has just changed so potentially changed so significantly. And uh, so that's kind of where why it's it's just a really hard problem. It so makes my, sense. My, First question is, of course, are there really 1,000 problems that people have that they can't solve? Because I feel that we're, I mean, the issue that I think that you're trying to address is an important one, which is that people already made this decision thinking or not thinking. But I think it's kind of like preventative care. If you don't want to have a heart attack, you might want to start, you know, exercising, (laughs) right? If you don't want to have uh, all these problems, maybe learn how to program I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you're preaching to the choir. Like, I'm totally on board with the idea of reducing dependencies, picking your dependencies really carefully, picking a package that does the bare minimum that you need and not, like, more than you need. So reducing bloat, right? I mean, you'll see things all the time, like, you know, you want to make an HTTP request, and so you'll install some, like, 
helper library, right? Request is the is the most popular example uh, in in Node land, and you install so you install Request, and then Request has all this support for all this crazy stuff, like it can OAuth with you know has OAuth support, it has support for all these weird like it can talk to AWS and stuff. It has all this like extra crud that's added in there, and so you're trying to just make an HTTP request, but you now pulled in like 30 dependencies to deal with AWS, which you may not even be dealing with, right? And so that's just it's it's a really hard problem in software because it's like do you want to have all the do you want to have all the bells and whistles do you want to have all the api stuff that you need so that in the future if you need that it's there and it's supported and it's really awesome and it, you know has all the features that you want or do you want something that just does does exactly what you want so that it's it's perfectly tuned i mean no no dependency is going to be perfectly tuned to your use case but the goal is to try to find something that does exactly what you want and no more and and then no less but but even that is hard because in the future your, your needs might expand and then now you'll regret that you picked a minimalist dependency. You know, we ran into this when we were picking an internationalization library for a project I was working on where oh, there's a lot of them out there. And if you pick a really minimalist one, it'll work fine. But then you'll you'll add a like a right to left language or something, or you'll add you'll need to do some kind of very you know, variable substitution, and then it turns out the the I18N library that you picked is too simple. It's too minimalist. It does, actually doesn't work in some cases. So I don't know. It's just a really hard problem. And and I and I, but I, I agree with what you're saying. I think it's it's a good goal. But I, I just I don't know. What do you do? You have any ideas in practice how to how to how to balance this? Because it's it's a, it's a really hard problem. I think. Uh, well, I get a lot of pushback actually because it's become so common in the ecosystem that people don't realize that this is not normal. You know, it's like back in the Roman times when they used to you know just kill children that didn't perform well or something. You know, it's absurd to think about today day but back in those times it's just like well yeah that's what you do with it with a kid that's a runt or whatever it's just you just you just you take them out of society you know it seems absurd now obviously <laughs> using a thousand dependencies isn't as absurd as taking someone's life but to me i come from the prior era where the idea that you would have a thousand touch points that you don't understand and that you don't know where they come from and you don't know what they do is just absolutely absurd. But the people that are entering the workforce now, this is commonplace for them. They don't know any other way of doing it. The idea that you wouldn't want, say, 19,000 dependencies when you install Gatsby is is just as ludicrous to them as anything else. So I try to, personally, what I try to do is figure out what problem we're trying to solve and then do a little bit of digging. I've posted on Reddit sometimes, hey, does anybody know of a library that does this that doesn't have 10 years of legacy? Because another thing with things like request is you're not just dealing with whatever the library author is trying to do today. You're trying to deal with what they were trying to do over the last eight years and they may have matured and grown up, but everything depends on their library. So they can't break their library by chopping off all those AWS dependencies because then somebody needs to go update their package.json. You know, so there's just a, there's a lot of things in terms of ecosystem where I don't know what the solution is on a broad level. And I think that's kind of what you're handling is the more broad level solution. But on the local level, it's just, well, hey, look for something that's got maybe 10 to 100 stars rather than something that has 2,000 stars and you know, peek in the code and see, does the code look reasonable? Does it look like this person copied and pasted from Stack Overflow, which is a lot of what those 20,000 star modules are? Or does it look like this person wrote this from scratch and that they kind of had an idea of what they were doing? Mm -hmm. but, but again, yeah, I, you can't peek at 1,000 modules, but you can peek at five. And if you peek at those five, then maybe you don't need to peek at a thousand because those five might just do what they need to do. I think, yeah, I think a lot of what has changed is it's not so much that people have forgotten how to program, I think, as much as that NPM 
was the first package manager that made it painless both to create dependency, like to create new packages and also painless to depend on them. So before NPM with Python and and another and you know the, the pip package manager or whatever easy easy install whatever python had before you had this problem where if a package adds a dependency on some other package then it's forcing all the other dependencies in the project to also use the same version of that dependency mm-hmm. so like if if i depend on package foo at version 1 then every other part of the project that uses package foo has to also depend on version 1 and so it's this like really annoying thing to add a dependency to a project because now you're forcing all the other dependencies to also be synced up with you. And and so it led to this culture, I think, in that ecosystem of people just inlining code. Like rather than adding a dependency, they'll just copy the code. And if it's like 100 lines, they'll just copy it in. And then you could say, we don't have any dependencies. So it's really easy to use this library. And in NPM, they, they, they solved that problem by just saying, look, if, if I want to use version one of Foo, and something else wants to use version two of Foo, then that's fine. NPM will just install both versions of Foo and we can move on with our life. It doesn't really matter. And so that made it, I think, like a lot more costless or it feels costless to just be like, oh yeah, we can add a dependency on this rather than copying the code in because like no one's going to complain to me about that and it's going to work and I don't have to write that 100 lines. And there's also some part of some part of it that's actually arguably better in some ways, which is like even 100 lines, you can have a, you can have a ton of bugs even in 100 lines of code, especially if it's tricky. And so there's some benefit to like being able to automatically inherit the bug fixes, although you also automatically inherit the the new bugs as well. <laughs> so, well, I, I think, yeah. again, I think this is kind of an ecosystem problem though, because look at the Go community. You've dabbled in Go at least, right? Very, very, very briefly. <laughs> okay, well, the Rust community kind of has the same problem as NPM to some extent. But the Go community does not have this problem. And I think a lot of it has to do with the leadership because the leadership says these are our values. We value being small, being simple, being understandable, being readable. A little copying is better than a little dependency. And the package manager solves all solvable problems that a package manager can solve, provably so. And so there's some amount of ethos that I think, I think part of the problem is there is no leadership in the JavaScript community, there are no uh, figureheads, but there aren't. There, there's no. There, there was Douglas Crawford. I don't, I don't think that's the problem. Okay, sure, because sure, sure. I'm just saying that there, that there is when there is some of this, some defined culture. People will fall into that culture. I so there are a couple things that I want to kind of pick out here. One is is I do agree that if there was somebody out there kind of championing a particular approach or a particular way of doing things you know, or particular tool, things like that, that everybody kind of agreed is our guy, right? So kind of like Ruby has mats and whoever else has whoever else. You kind of have these benevolent dictators or, or what have you, right, that are making a lot of these calls. They kind of push things in a particular direction, right? You know, everybody who writes Ruby on Rails, they kind of do things the way DHH does them because that's how Rails is written, right? Mm-hmm. And so it kind of and it kind of forces the Ruby community to come along in in certain ways along with that. Right. So you've got these opinionated pushes. But the difference is, is that the pips and the rubies or, or the Ruby gems and the, the other package managers, they kind of came about before the community really had a large set of established practices going on. And with NPM, NPM came on the scene after, you know, 15, 20 years of web development, right? 
going on and all kinds of packages or libraries already being written in JavaScript, and it tried to encompass all of it. And so it had to go and be compatible with the way things had been been done in a whole bunch of different places, and there was a lot to manage. I disagree. What did it have to be compatible with? Because they blazed the new trail. They they fixed a lot of problems that had existed before because of the experience of the Ruby people coming over and, and a few of the Python people coming over. They did, but at the same time, and you know, speaking direct specifically about what Faras is talking about here, where he's saying, you know, you could pick up different dependencies of different libraries depending on, you know, I've got I've got eight libraries I'm pulling in here. Four of them use different versions of Lodash, and so it doesn't matter, right? Because it just pulls in all four versions of Lodash. That was kind of important because before what you would wind up doing is you would pull down a bundle of like jQuery, right? And you would stick it on your page. And then, you know, if you pulled in some other library that did something else and it depended on a different version of whatever jQuery depended on, it kind of lived in that space. Right. Okay. So you're, you're talking about so, NPM for the browser, not NPM for Node. Right. But and NPM, if NPM had just stayed a Node thing, I think it wouldn't have had to try and encompass some of these other issues. But because people were using it and Browserify and some of these other ones, you know, they all had a lot of the same problems in the sense that they were trying to solve these issues for multiple ecosystems that had an established way of approaching these problems. And I don't know that anybody really could have championed a right approach to this. I think it's something we're going to wind up solving over the next several years still. Yeah, I mean, the the other thing to keep in mind, too, is like, even if you don't have a... So, like, I agree, a thousand dependencies, you know, it's a lot of dependencies. And the statistic that I I think is mind-blowing, by the way, just to throw it out there, because I I didn't mention it earlier, is that the the average NPM package has uh, 79 dependencies on other third-party packages and you'd have to also trust 39 mm-hmm. maintainers so it's so you get to a thousand fast yeah you get two thousand fast and so that's that, that's mind-blowing right i mean it is it is a huge number but but i don't want to like i don't want to make it seem like that's the only problem and like npm is unique right. in having a risk of supply chain attacks because we're also seeing them in other ecosystems you are like definitely yeah, so it's not just uh, it's not like this is this is not helping the problem that you have to trust thirty nine people that you don't know who they are, but it's contributing to the problem. But it's not the only problem. I mean, the the bigger the bigger problem, and the, you know, I think is that no one actually reads this code. I mean, the the problem is that you're you're basically trying to do something really really crazy, and it's a miracle that it even works. So you have you know we're trying to download code from the internet written by unknown individuals. We haven't read the code. And then we want to execute the code with full permissions on our laptops and on our servers. And we keep all of our most important data on those machines. And we, <laughs> and we expect this to go well, right? Uh, it's like it's like that is a crazy thing. And it's crazy that it has even worked as long as it has. But I think like we can address we can address the problem by sort of looking at each of those things independently and thinking about like how can we actually improve things. So one thing is like we could read the code. That's one thing, right? I mean, we could actually take a look at the code that we're using before we before we use it. Now I'm really glad you have time for that. <laughs> I mean, what I mean by look at the code isn't necessarily that a human is looking at it. It's oh, okay. Like, it's it's a spectrum, right? You can have you can mm-hmm. either on the one hand you can you can take a really aggressive stance. So there's some companies, really big companies such as Google, that treat third-party dependencies as their own code 
and they check it into their own re- repository at Google, and then they they basically vet it and they treat it as it's their own code, and they are very very careful with with uh, with updating to to the to the latest version. They look at, at the diff and they they decide whether they want to update. So it's, it's like they treat it as their code, and so that's one approach, very very expensive approach. You need to have a team of dedicated people basically just doing that. So most companies, most startups, you know, can't do this. And then on the other hand, you have the like do nothing, like let's just YOLO, like it's fine, let's just install whatever, let anyone install whatever they want and hope for the best. And that's the way that pretty much most, I think most companies and most teams and most projects do things because it's just the way that everyone else does things. And it doesn't feel like there's there's really any anything else you can do. You can try like you can well, try with, with some of what ages, I mean, you can try to pick like a, you can try to try to pick fewer dependencies and be more careful. But fundamentally, you're not really looking at that code and you're also not looking at the updates that are coming in. So I think that neither of those approaches is good and you need a middle ground approach. And that's what what Socket does. That's That's what my project does. So you can also take the approach that Apple and Microsoft take, which is because we also have to define what scope you're trying to solve for. Because at the small scope, you certainly can, when you're picking a dependency, take a look and, and see, does this look like a trustworthy author? You know, just take one click to see them on LinkedIn. You know, are they a real person? Take one click to look at the index.js and just scroll. Does this look like this was written by somebody who has an understanding of the problem space and the solution space and the language at hand? And if not, sometimes that's okay. Sometimes you you can take crap code that you can tell was copied and pasted from Stack Overflow because you just need it right then and just mark it as a note of okay, I'll I'll go back and, and reevaluate this later. But um, that always happens. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, I mean, but, AJ, you you also got to remember though that that like even trustworthy authors can can turn not trustworthy, like the attack we saw recently oh, absolutely. With, with Merrick uh, sabotaging yeah, his own I, I, code. I, I, and also maintainers can can lose their passwords and, and can get hacked. Their machines can get compromised. Their passwords can get... I, I think I missed that one. I what agree. happened? I'll just quickly summarize it for Charles. So there was a maintainer that basically went rogue. He maintained a couple of popular projects. One of them is called Colors. The other is called mm-hmm. Faker. And he just decided one day to wake up and sabotage his own packages and replace them with code that prints out a bunch of random Unicode stuff, junk, okay. and, you know, random junk. He added like infinite loops, just all kinds of, of, of just garbage like that and published it as a patch so that other dependency, right. okay. you know, other people who depended on it would just get it if they if they weren't being careful. And so things like, you know, the Amazon AWS uh, CLI tool was affected by this because if you installed it, you would get mm-hmm. the latest version of this guy's library. Right. And so, so that's, that's an example that happened literally last month in January and it, you know, his packages had 100 million downloads. So even if at one point that was a good library and he was a trustworthy person, like he can just wake up one day and decide to to, to go rogue. And so, mm-hmm. um, not to, it doesn't discredit you know, the other points you're making, AJ, but I just want to mention oh, that because it is also it, yes, I agree with that. So the 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 other part I was going to say. So that's on the small scale. I'm saying as an individual team with a few people, you can do some level of auditing to kind of get a sense of what's the debt we're bringing on with this. And whether you're a small team or a large team, you can also take the Microsoft and Apple approach, uh, more so if you're on a large in a large company like Microsoft or Apple where they print money, which is they don't they don't use third party code. They might go inspect it to kind of see how something is done or or whatever, as long as it's not under the GPL, if it's under an MIT or an Apache or a MPL license or something like that. But they don't use third party code. And if Google, if they do, their version system is locked. It's not a loosey-goosey thing. I, I think the number one thing people need to know about Node is that npm install is an alias for npm install dash dash random. I think people need to know that. And that the only 
acceptable install is npm ci unless you were trying to get random dependency versions if you which i don't think is what anybody wants to do i don't think anybody wakes up and says hey i want to just just roll a dice and see what gets installed when i run npm install but that is the default behavior so there's um there, there's there's that too actually having version locking in place and then just for simple things, just write your own code. And for very complex things, evaluate it. Yeah, so I, I totally agree with, with your broad points. I think, so if you just take an example, though, of like a project that we worked on before we built Socket, it was this thing called Wormhole. You can check it out at wormhole.app. It's, it's a way to send files securely with end-to-end encryption in your browser. And we tried really hard to make sure that the server wouldn't, you know, doesn't see your files, doesn't see your data. And, you know, when we were building it, like we, we were a two-person team at the time. And so we needed to rely on other people's code. I mean, we couldn't feasibly write this from scratch. I mean, we, the problem is like, I mean, we, we wanted to do, we wanted to do stuff like peer-to-peer file transfer so that we could make the site really fast. And so we had to pull in dependencies to help with that networking stuff, right? We, mm-hmm. I mean, the world, there's a world where we could, could have sat down and just like hammered all this code out and it would have taken us like a year. And then maybe we would have ended up building the wrong thing, you know, and no one would have wanted this thing. And we would have wasted a year of our life working on it. Instead, we, we decided, like, we're going to pull in some dependencies. Um, we got it done in two months. And now, you know, we, we, we released it and it has over 100,000 people using it every month. And we made, we made a trade-off where we decided, like, it's, it's better to get this into the hands of users. And we'll do our best to pick dependencies carefully, but we're not going to sit down and, like, read everything. Um, and so then after launching and, like, after realizing, okay, a lot of people like this and now they're relying on us, then we started asking ourselves, like, is there more we could do to go back and take a closer look at the dependencies that we selected beyond just like cracking open the index.js and looking at it beyond just looking at the maintainer and saying, have they historically been trustworthy? But also like, what do we do about updates? Like when we get a new version update for something, we'd love to be able to update to it. But it seems like, you know, in most of the recent supply chain attacks, that's been a, a vector. So like you update to a new thing and then it's actually it's actually worse for you. You end up, that the, the behavior changes and now suddenly it's talking to the network. Now suddenly there's a crypto miner in there. Now suddenly, you know, it's it's stealing all the passwords on your computer or it's stealing your NPM RC file where you keep your, your NPM token. And so like, so like what we, what we realized we needed is some kind of automation. Like if we could basically have our attention automatically like drawn to a suspicious update and we could take a close look when automation detects that something is suspicious about this new version or about this new dependency, then we could spend our time, our limited time on the packages which are the most likely to be dangerous. So for example, if I've been using a package for like the last year and it has never used an install script, so it doesn't run any code upon installation, but then suddenly like today, I I see there's a new update available and the package is now running code upon installation. Right. That's pretty weird. That's not normal. That's not a thing that you see very often. And so it's probably worth calling that out so that the reviewer who's looking at this this update, this pull request, sees like, hey, there's something that's changed significantly about the permissions that this that this package requires. You can almost think about it like the way a phone app works, or, you know, a smartphone app or a Chrome extension, where when when an app needs more permissions, suddenly it doesn't just get to use them whenever it wants. It has to actually prompt the user. So you'll see a thing that says like this Chrome extension needs new permissions. What do you you know? Do you want to like let it use them? And so that's kind of what model we're trying to bring to dependencies, where you you install a dependency, you get shown upfront what capabilities it requires. Does it use the file system? Does it talk to the network? And then Going forward, if those capabilities change and it suddenly needs needs new capabilities, that we can alert you to that fact and you can be informed before you make a decision about whether to update or not. And we can link you directly to the line of code in the package where it is doing that new thing 
that new behavior. And you can look for yourself and see, is this a reasonable behavior or not? So if you do that, then you can catch the, the, the most egregious supply chain attacks of the last year. So it sounds like you're describing what I wish my kids would do, right? They just go ahead and do what they want instead of asking for permission when their <laughs> desires change. One one thing that I kind of want to, and I was I was looking for a way to derail us exactly to where you went. So <laughs> the, this is perfect because I think everybody kind of understands the issue, right? As far as like how dangerous this is and all the things that you and AJ kind of went back and forth on are things I really just don't want to take the time to do, right? I want to go build stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And so so when we get into this, now it's it's all right. So yeah, what do I look at? Like, how do I know? And automation seems kind of obvious, right? It's like, it's like, there's no way for me to just intuit from the the NPM packages folder. Oh, that one. That is, I need to look closer at that one, right? Mm-hmm. So and I've seen products where they kind of keep track of known vulnerabilities. And they'll tell you, hey, this one's this one is out of date. This one has this vulnerability open to it. A lot of times it has a CVE number attached to it. But the problem with that is, is half the time the damage is already done by the time somebody exposes it. And so what I want to know, you know, it sounds like you've got Socket that does something else, right? Something other than, hey, that one's bad. We know that one's a problem. So what, and one of the things you're talking about is, does it execute code when it installs? I think there are some NPM packages that actually do this. I've heard that. But Mm -hmm. outside of that, what else are you looking at? And how do you know, even if it does execute right off the bat, I mean, some things I might want it to, right? So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I think the idea isn't to ban any of this stuff. It's just to make sure that you're informed about what the package is going to do before you choose to use it. And so this is, it's it's almost like you can think of it like a nutrition facts label, right? Like Mm -hmm. no one is trying to, a nutrition facts label doesn't, doesn't ban any kinds of foods. It just, but what it does is it says that when you pick up that food off the shelf at the store, you can take a look at it and you can know what you're getting. You can see what the ingredients are. Maybe you see that you're, that there's peanuts in there and you're allergic to peanuts and so you don't want that. Or maybe maybe you care about how many calories or how much sugar it has and you can see that and you can make your own decision. And so that's all that what that's all that Socket is trying to do is to sort of surface this information about what the packages are doing mm-hmm. so that you can make an informed decision about whether to use it. And I think CVEs, you mentioned, so there's a lot of tools out there that there's a lot of tools out there that will tell you if a package has known vulnerabilities in it. And that's pretty different than what, what I'm talking about here. So I, maybe it's worth spending right. a minute on, on it just to distinguish it. Because so no, a known vulnerability is, is accidentally introduced by a maintainer. So it starts out as a vulnerability, and then it becomes a known vulnerability once the security researcher finds it or, or somebody discovers this bug. And then they write up a report about it and send that to the maintainer and ask the maintainer to fix it. And then they'll hopefully fix it in a timely manner and publish a new version that has that has the bug fixed. And then what happens at that point is uh, a CVE number is is issued. And this is basically just a number that uh, goes into a database that says this this bug existed in this package, it was in this version, and the the bug was fixed in this other version. So if you update to this, this new version, then the bug will be fixed. And that all just goes into a database. And so there's a lot of tools that'll tell you, hey, this package you're installing, it has three vulnerabilities that we know about. Um, that's something that NPM audit does, for example, that's built right into NPM, you can run NPM audit, it'll tell you, hey, this package has these these mm-hmm. 10 known vulnerabilities. The thing about known Look vulnerabilities, what you did. yeah, I mean, <laughs> and there's there, it's really noisy, too. It's like, it's so that's, it's actually something that developers basically ignore these days. I mean, it, you can't, <laughs> you can't really install 
a package without getting a ton of those these days. And so people are just sort of rightfully kind of ignoring them. And a lot of them are, are listed as high criticality or critic, you know, critical level. Mm-hmm. And then you look at them and they're not that big of a deal. A lot of the time it's stuff that's like, you know, a denial of service and a regular expression in a, in a tool that you only run in development to build your, your own JavaScript. So it's like, that's never going to be exploited by a real attacker, right? So, so people are sort of getting tired of these, of the, of the noisiness. And it's like the boy who cried wolf, you know, everything is, has known vulnerabilities in it. And sure, you should try to reduce them. But like, it's not, it's not most of them, like 95% of the ones you get from NPM audit are just noise, right? And so this is a, a problem that, that everyone is like talking about now and trying to trying to improve the, this, the signal of the noise. But, but there's this whole other problem that no one is talking about yet and isn't and no one has really tried to address which is what do you do about intentionally introduced malware so what if a maintainer goes rogue and adds malware to their own package like we saw in january or what if uh, a maintainer's account gets compromised and a new version is published that has malware in it like we saw back in october with ua parser js koa and rc three packages that were compromised they each had 30 million downloads a month and those got compromised and malware was added that would basically uh, download a cryptocurrency miner, run it on your computer, mine Monero, send that to the attacker. And then on Windows, it actually did an extra step, which was it would go into the Windows credential manager and steal all your Windows passwords, as well as passwords from 100 different applications on your machine. And UAParserJS was, was depended upon by React Native. So like anyone who was using React Native who installed, like who typed NPM install React Native during this window, which I think it was a four-hour window during which this this malware was on NPM, was compromised. Like you would have all your passwords stolen. You have to go now reset all your passwords. Your, your computer is basically hosed. You need to really honestly just delete it and reinstall everything from scratch to be safe. Uh, change all your passwords, right? Not a good situation. So that's what malware is. Malware is like not, it's not a thing that a, a security researcher, when they find malware, they don't just like publish a CVE about it. They, they go and they get NPM to take it down off of the NPM registry. And and then usually there's not a CVE filed. Sometimes there is, but in most cases, there's not. Um, in the last month, 700 packages were taken down from NPM for various reasons, including malware and security reasons. And there were not 700 CVEs published. So there's just this stuff is getting published all the time and taken down all the time. Just constant malware going on NPM and getting taken down. And no one is reporting CVEs for this stuff. So it's like you need another way to, to basically avoid accidentally installing some of this stuff. It's that not enough sense. to just it's not enough to just like hope for after the fact that a CVE will go into a database weeks too late and that you're gonna run a tool that tells you, hey, you're running this bad version. It's it's too late at that point, right? So that's kind of the that's the key, like that's the key problem is like these 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 malware attacks, these supply chain attacks are increasing. And there's 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 so many examples we could talk about, but yeah, there's they're just October, literally just last October, there's there's these massive ones in in those three packages I mentioned. So so yeah, that's that's the that's the kind of difference between looking for vul- known vulnerabilities and looking for malware or supply chain attacks. Hopefully that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I had a question I wanted to bring up. So let me figure out how to word this just like circle back to so before I ask my question I'm like go over thoughts so I always am like the I feel like the the person on teams who's like the not fun person that all the developers (laughs) hate like the old person that and I swear it's because I come from like not a traditional background so I come from more of like the business side of things where I'm just like constantly reminding people that our jobs when, when we're working for a company, our job, for, for better or worse, we are, there's a 
there's a contract there. We're supposed to build things for this company because it makes the company money and we're helping the company make money. And in exchange, we get a paycheck for that. <laughs> now, I mean, that's that's just the way it works. For, for better or worse, people might not like it. But at the end of the day, for our jobs, that's, that's how it works. <laughs> now, if you're doing stuff on your own, completely different story, do whatever you want. <laughs> so knowing that, I feel like it is our responsibility as engineers, developers, programmers, whatever you want to call us, to make a case to the business for these types of things. Like as a responsible engineer, I'm, you know, working for this company. It is my responsibility and I should also be held liable if I am pulling in any of these packages. So I would say like there, I feel like there needs to be higher stakes for, for people who, I don't know, it's like, it's, there's a little bit of gray area there because like we talked about at the beginning of the show with the, the issue in January, like you can't always predict what someone is going to do. But at the same time, like you need to do somewhat due diligence on things. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I'm, I'm looking at our conversation. Um, all that to say, I guess, so the tool that we're talking about today that you're working on, how friendly would you say that is to like someone coming from more of the business side? Because is this a responsibility that we can share with product and engineering? Or is this something that like engineering is going to have to take sole responsibility for and work with product to say like, hey, we need to educate you on why this is important? Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. So I, I think there's so let me start over. (laughs) (laughs) I said a lot. So sorry. Yeah. So we designed Socket to be super easy to install. The the, the easiest way to, to install it is just, you just, it's a GitHub app. So it's like, it takes like a minute. You go and you click install. You say, apply it to all my repositories in my GitHub organization. And then you're done. Like, that's it. So what that means is that an engineer can install it or the head of security can install it or a product person can install it. Really anyone who cares about security and wants to make sure that this stuff is being looked at can go ahead and install it. But we're, we've designed it to be really friendly for developers because the way that it operates is once this GitHub app is installed, it, it's, it takes a look at all pull requests that are happening on a project. And anytime package.json file is changed and a dependency is added or a dependency version is updated, it will look at the version that you're trying to add uh, that the developer is trying to add, and it will check for a whole bunch of things. It'll say, does this new version have any obfuscated code, right? Does it have, does it look like it's a typo? Like, could the, is the package, you know, we found, for example, there's a package called browser list, but it's a typo of browsers list. And I, our tool found that Preact project was using browser list instead of browsers list. And so we sent them a pull request to fix that. But this was a package that at one point was, was malware. And now it's just a, some, you know, it, it got taken down and now it's just an ex- throws an exception and says, hey, you installed the wrong package. But there's no good reason for anyone to depend on that that typo. It's just risk you're adding to your project for no reason. It's literally a dead code. It's, and so yeah. we, can look, we can look at dependencies and say, hey, this looks like a typo. It, it, it's two letters off from another package that has a thousand times as many downloads. And so, we, you know, the bot will come in and post a message and tell the developer, hey, just double checking. <laughs> I just want to make sure that you intended to install this package and not this other one. And of course, the developer is free to ignore that if they want. If they're really sure that they installed the correct package. But this is the kind of automation that it's very low cost. It doesn't really get in the way. It just adds information, gives the developer information, and then they can go ahead and do whatever they want to do. And it's the kind of information that I think most developers would be really happy to get. It's like, whoa, you saved me. You know, like I almost installed a typo. Yeah. And like now yeah. this thing just told me that and I can and or maybe the reviewer notices like, you know, maybe it could tell you that this package accesses the network on these three lines. And now the reviewer maybe so maybe a junior developer sent in a pull request, right? 
and they don't necessarily know what the implications of talking to the network are. But a senior developer who's reviewing this can say, wait a minute, like, why does this package, which is like rendering a calendar component on the page, <laughs> you know, why does it need to talk to this .ru domain, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, okay, that's a good conversation to have before this this uh, pull request yeah. is merged. And the cool thing is that it's actually not just going to check, you know, the, the it's not going to open up just the, the first dependency, it's going to look at all the transitive dependencies too. And it's going to find if any of those talk to the network, and it'll let the let it'll leave a comment and let the reviewer know that. And so it's just giving information and and it's the kind of thing that really anyone can install it, a developer, a security person, product person, whoever values this. And we've seen basically all kinds of people installing it for all kinds of reasons. Some people just because they're compliance, you know, they want to make sure that they're following all the best practices and they're they have some customer that's asking them about, hey, like what tell me about all these open source packages you're using and like how are you making sure that they're secure? And they can say, well, we installed socket and now you know, now we know that at least we're checking for these things. And other people are doing it just because they they like the idea of like knowing what's in their dependencies and they want to make sure that none yeah. of them are just talking to the network without them knowing yeah. or, or, or contain random blobs of, of code that look like they could be doing who knows what. Yeah. So, so yeah. Hi, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately I've been coaching some people on starting some podcasts and in some cases, just taking their career to the next level. You know, whether you're beginner going to intermediate, intermediate going to advanced, whether you're trying to get noticed in the community or go freelance, I've been helping these folks figure out how to get in front of people, how to build relationships and how to build their careers and max out and, and just go to the next level. So if you're interested in talking to me and having me help you go to the next level, Go to topendevs.com slash coaching. I will give you a one hour free session where we can figure out what you're trying to do, where you're trying to go and figure out what the next steps are. And then from there, we can figure out how to get you to the place you want to go. So once again, that's topendevs.com slash coaching. And I think like, I don't know, thinking out loud, talking out loud here a little bit. I think the point I was like trying to make is I just I feel like we at least if you've been doing this for a while, probably need to hold yourself and your team to a little bit higher standard, like going back to what AJ was saying at the beginning. I mean, I'm going to make the analogy to like an SRE team. Like it doesn't matter what the application teams are deploying. Like our job is on the line if production goes down. doesn't matter if I have have not touched the app code in, ever in my life. Like if I am supporting an environment and it goes down because some, you know, application causes a pod to run out of memory or the container in the pod to run out of memory, like that, that is on me. So I I guess I'm just saying like, if I'm adding something to a project and I add a dependency that is doing something malicious, whether it's my fault or not, hopefully the company or your boss, whatever, has some grace about the situation, but we definitely need to like hold ourselves to a higher standard. There should be like a postmortem about this kind of stuff, just all that. Anyways, yeah, totally. Agree. <laughs> I think I think this is the kind of thing that's going to become a best practice in the coming year, if not yeah. if not yeah. like sooner than that, because you know there was a time when like two factor authentication was considered like a nice to have, but now you can't really launch a service without exactly. um, your customers yeah. demanding it and saying, "Where's the two FA on this?" You know, I can't yeah. I can't deploy this without two FA. So two FA is now standard, and so I think and I think also vulnerability scanning has become pretty standard. So you know that's why it's built into npm. That's why you know have npm audit. But I don't think anyone is doing this next level of like, what are the capabilities yeah. of this package? And I think that's yeah. going to start to become standard in the coming year because I hope I wish it wasn't true, but there's just, it seems like every month now or every 
every month or two, there's like another one of these supply chain attacks. And so it's just an unacceptable level of risk. I, I mean, I just came, I've always, by the way, this isn't even a new thing for me. I've always been kind of, mind, my mind has always been boggled by how, how NPM install works. Like even like five years ago, whenever I was running NPM install, I'm just like, whoa, look at all the code coming in, you know? And I'm like, I don't know what any of this is doing. And I'm running this on my computer. And I have a folder over here with like all my, you know, family photos and like all my tax returns and all like my social security number. It's all just Seriously. sitting in, in PDF files in this folder. And I'm just like hoping that. And so, <laughs> yeah, I'm just hoping that none of them, none of those people have turned evil or that none of them have had their account hacked or chose a, chose a five letter password. <laughs> So it's really a problem that's been around for a while. It's just not, it, for some reason, the bad guys haven't really like discovered this gold mine sitting there until recently. And so, um, and now we're sitting yeah. here telling them how to do it, right? Great. <laughs> well, <laughs> maybe. But if you've got all that stuff on your computer for us, I have this picture I want you to look at. I'll, I'll email it right over. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I lost the connection there for a little bit. And so I missed all of what Amy said and half of what you said for us. But one thing that I wanted to know is, can this detect if you're now doing a require HTTP or a require FS where, where that didn't used to be there and surface that as, hey, this is now accessing the file system, but it didn't used to. Hey, this is now accessing the network, but it didn't used to at the at the internal level, not just the dependency level, but the what capabilities of Node are you trying to require or what capabilities of the browser are you trying to require? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, so you can think of this like a linter. So it looks at, it statically analyzes the dependency and all of its transitive dependencies. And it looks for capabilities that it's using. So it looks for, you know, does it use the file system? Does it use the network? Does it use eval? Does it use the shell? Does it use debugging features of Node? You know, does it dynamically require something that we can't tell at static analysis time what it's doing? So, for example, if you require like a variable instead of a, a string, right? You you type require something complicated that we can't figure out what it's requiring, then we can we'll mark that as a dynamic require, which means we don't know what it's doing. It it could be anything, but it so you should assume the worst basically because that's really weird and most most of the time people don't <laughs> don't require some convoluted string, but. For for that sort of thing, are you using ESLint or you have your own? Parser? We have our own. Yeah, we're using. We're, we're so we parse the EST and then we just have our own detections that we we could have used ESLint, but we we just are doing we're doing a few other things that are it was just easier to do our own our own thing. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And then okay, so you said you got the oh I lost my thought. I had another question. I lost it. Maybe I'll come back to it. You know, it's interesting. You know, while AJ is thinking his deep thoughts, I can remember <laughs> for the left pad how a library with eight lines basically took down the internet when something went wrong with it. And I think all it, what it didn't it just add some padding to the left side of a string of text or something like that. It was incredibly tiny library. But yeah, it's called StartPad no. now. The the official spec is called StartPad. Yeah, that's StartPad. right. Somebody and by the time that problem happens, that had already been in the standard library. But uh, yeah, it was created back in the olden, olden, olden days, back in the ES, ES5 right, right. era. Anyway, I can remember at the time uh, that this came out, this subject started to people started noticing it more that all the dependencies and, you know, somebody said create racked app had over a thousand dependencies on it when you installed it out of the gate. But I remember a, a blog post and I wish I could find it where this guy did went through and audited, you know, some popular NPM packages that people used and, and looked at what they did behind the scenes. And I always remember one that every time somebody downloaded, installed it, it sent out a tweet to a certain account, you know, saying, Hey, somebody just installed this. I don't remember what the tweet said. Wow. But all kinds of just weird stuff that it would do, information it would gather, or stuff like that, sending out tweets. And 
Yeah, it was a really interesting post that just looking at all the things, weird things that people buried inside of their libraries. Yeah, by the way, the example I gave earlier about a calendar component that was doing shell scripts was actually a real example that we found. No way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's not it's not a joke. Yeah, it's actually a real package. And and we've seen a lot of weird stuff. There's also packages that will like you install them and then they will star themselves so that their NPM star count will go up. And then um, there's all... Dang, I need to do yeah, that. It's like free internet points. And then... <laughs> Dang, that's a good there's idea. There's also one... Why have I not been doing this? <laughs> There's also one that when you install it, it will uninstall itself. So it like runs npm rm its own name. There's just like weird crap. There's all this weird stuff on npm if you, if you dig far enough. And the other thing, by the way, I'll mention too is... Oh, yeah, go ahead, AJ. The, the box that you press the button and it reaches its hand and then turns itself off. <laughs> yeah. The flip switch box. Yeah, it's exactly now, that's one way to increase your installation stats, right? Got to keep reinstalling it. <laughs> I know, yeah. right? Or yeah, or I've, my podcast numbers I've are going to go way 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 up. I'll tell you what the package name is later. <laughs> yeah, just hit it. Just do a quick little get request there in the background. Yeah. Every time the package is required, I'll get you your yep. numbers up really fast. Yeah. There's also if if people find it interesting, I'll mention too that um, we've been collecting all the packages that npm removes over time. So whenever they take a package down from the registry for any reason, we've just been observing that fact, and uh, we have a page on the website where you can look at all the removed packages. So we're not like, you know, we're, we just have like a basically a page where you can browse the files and see what they were doing. And it's super fascinating if, if you're curious, but you can go in there and just see like this, all this crap that's been published. It's, it's like, it really, it really um, emphasizes the fact that NPM is basically a wiki that anyone can edit. I mean, there's no, there's no rules mm-hmm. about what you can put on there. So it's just like all the, cra- if you're installing a package with like under a hundred downloads a month, right? It could be anything. I mean, it's just like, it could be whatever there's there's stuff that's just extremely you can look at what i mean there's it's basically there's malware in those in those in that page there's samples of actual malware you can look at and see what it would do and that you can see like some of it is really dumb and really simple it just takes like process.env which contains all your environment variables and it'll just it'll just curl that off to some to some url get your aws yeah exactly so there's stuff like that there's there's stuff that there's just giant um piles of obfuscated code that's just like an entire screen full of just you don't even know what it's doing but it's clearly something not good. <laughs> so we have a detection for that where you just detect that the entropy in the in the file is really, really high and it looks unnatural. It doesn't look like normal code. And so we can we can also warn, warn about that. There's stuff in there that is like spam. I mean, it's not even like necessarily malware, but it's like someone just published the package because they want to get links to their to their like Viagra site. And so they just are using the NPM site as like a link to get li- free links to their, to their website. Um, hmm. There's security researchers publishing stuff on there that's like, Probably not malicious, but uh, still like phones home that 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 it was run to to track that. There's all kinds of weird stuff on there. If you're curious, you can poke around it and like let me know if you find anything interesting. But it's on socket.dev. You can just go socket.dev, and then in the footer we have a link that says uh, removed packages. And if you click that, you can see every package that's been removed from npm in the last couple months that we've that we've been saving them. So we're about an hour in at this point, and I, I still have way more questions. <laughs> I'm trying to decide if we want to push to a part two or... I would love a part two, personally. Because... So mean like we go another hour? No, I can't go another hour. I have a okay. call in a half hour or f- about 40 minutes. But let's schedule another one of these. But in the meantime, yeah, let's just stay on this vein. Because, yeah, I have a, I have questions in a couple of other areas that I want to hit. But Okay, yeah, whatever you guys want to do. We, we could do it now for the next 40 minutes or we could do it another... Like, we could do it tomorrow. Just let me know. Could we do it on Tuesday, Chuck? 
is Tuesday open? I don't I don't recall if this next Tuesday is open because I, I thought that was we could bump Dan. Yeah, we've got Dan. something this Saturday or excuse me this Tuesday. Yeah, we have George something. Nikolov. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I see it now. Okay, it's the it's the following Tuesday. It's the March first is when we could we could bump Dan. Yeah, and he'd probably be all right with that. Plus, he'd probably enjoy being in on this discussion too. Yeah. So is the idea that it would be like two podcasts? Basically? Yeah, it would be two episodes. Cool. Yeah, that works for me. Yeah. Because I, I want to continue the discussion, but I also need to get back to work because I'm off cycle because it's Thursday. And... Mm. Right. Cool. Yeah. Thanks for all the good questions. Yeah. I realize there's like a lot to discuss here. It's not, it's, it's not simple. And I, I mean, even the discussion at the beginning on the, on the like way we code these days, that could have been a whole episode. <laughs> it could have been. And what's interesting is, is that kind of bringing this back into a conversation, those approaches aren't wrong. It's just the reality is, is that at some point you're going to need to depend on some open source code for anything that's reasonably complex. And at that point, you really want to know that, yeah, you're not exposing yourself or your employer or your customer mm-hmm. or whoever, right, your client, if you're freelance, to to things that are going to compromise the the integrity of the app. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, it's super, super interesting just to, to look at. And I like the approach that you've got as far as, yeah, looking at the code and looking for specific patterns. I was, as soon as you said, and we, we grab all the packages that they pull off of NPM and we store them so we can look at them. And my brain went, that's really smart. And not in a condescending way, but in a, I didn't think of that. And it seems pretty obvious to me when you say it way. So there's so much, there's so much interesting stuff in there. And yeah, yeah, it's like, what number of terabytes are we up to on all of NPM, the size of all of NPM? Yeah. And and how many people are basically hosting their YouTube blogs (laughs) (laughs) for just free storage hosting for anything? I didn't think of that either. That's that's what I'm doing next week. Guys, the whole catalog is going to be on NPM. NPM install top end devs. (laughs) Just download the whole thing. No, we should make every episode should be its own dependency so that. Oh, there we go. (laughs) And episode two will depend on episode one, and episode three will depend. But you could totally get away with it. You could put a couple hundred megabytes, and uh, th- that's what dependencies are these days. <laughs> put a test folder, call it. Put it. Put a put a test folder, and then put fixture.mp3. Yeah. yeah no so, <laughs> so getting serious here for a minute, though. It sounds like socket.dev is the place to go to check this out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, socket.dev is where we're putting all the all the stuff we're working on. You can look up. You can go to socket.dev. You can look up any package. So, so all the data is public. You can just search any package name, and we'll show you all the things that are analysis detected and then we also mm-hmm. have these scores for each package that sort of try to summarize like what the what the quality of each package is in terms of different cat- different different areas so what's the security what's the quality what's the maintenance what's the license so mm-hmm. just give you like an overall picture of the quality that's the thing you can get on socket.dev and then there's also the github app you can install too right so chuck was this a podcast episode or an infomercial for socket.dev <laughs> i i do bonus episodes with paid product folks and what i hope we what no what i hope we get to is just kind of where we got here where it was like look there are all these things you can be looking for right and and you can go do it on your own right if if you could write your own script to do it i mean whatever Mm -hmm. right it's a non-trivial problem but you could right if you didn't want to go use socket.dev or pay for a service that does what it does or whatever i i haven't even looked to see what you pay or what level is free or whatever but the reality is is that these are things that people need to think about and so there's a ton of valuable content here and you can short shortcut part of the process by checking out socket mm-hmm. right yeah that, that's what i aim for with these 
shows where, yeah, we have somebody on that works for a company that solves a problem. So question I have, I just looked at one of my own packages on this. I've got a, a 47 score of maintenance, which makes me sad, but basically the thing is complete. So why, why that's one thing I think is really that I don't like is that when modules are complete, when they, when they do what they need to do and the only changes are extremely rare and frequent, they get dinged on all these metric systems. Shouldn't it get 100% like the modules complete? Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you. It's, it's hard because if you're choosing something that's a top level dependency, like a web framework or something where there's constant churn and there's always stuff, you don't want to pick a framework that hasn't been updated in two years because you're just asking for sad times. But on the other hand, if you're picking a library that's supposed to do one thing and do it well, then actually having it not change is a, is a positive. It can be, right? Especially if it's if it's really solid and it's really perfect, then you don't want random API changes in this like library that you're using to do one specific thing, right? So, so it, it's a really it's really hard to make a metric that gets that perfectly right. I think right now on the version of the site you're looking at, we might be slightly too aggressive, and that's something that I want to fix in the next few weeks and make it less it shouldn't penalize a package for mm-hmm. being done i agree with you totally i'm going to push on this a little bit and then i'll oh, go ahead aj so another another question i have is so this what this is it's at root request it's a drop-in replacement for request so it's the same api as request but there's no dependency on aws or oauth or any of that it is literally what if you're using request in your code this would be a drop-in replacement for almost every use case, Mm -hmm. right? For the the average person. And there is one thing that most of the time you don't need the form data library, but occasionally do, because most of the time you're dealing with JSON, right? And so in there, I have this, this little line where if you try to use form data, then it will require it. But it's not listed in the dependencies, and this is on purpose. And I'm wondering, it, because I don't want it to install, that the goal with, you know, I'm very strict on my modules. I do not, anything that's a pure development dependency that's tooling, I don't even put it in dev dependencies. I put it in the NPM script. MPX prettier at 2.x, right? It doesn't even, no one ever needs to install it unless they run the prettier script, in which time it'll be installed. Same thing with if there's a dependency where if you're using this particular feature of the library, then yes, you you will need to have read the documentation and pre-install this thing that handles that. But it, it, what I'm talking about here is most of the time people don't need that. So I don't want to put it in the dependencies because I don't want it to get installed for somebody when they're likely not going to use it. Is there a solution to that problem? Yeah, that's interesting. Because I, I'm using things in the NPM scripts that aren't in the dev dependencies, but that's on purpose because they don't need to be. Because unless you are actually a maintainer, get cloning this and then running those mm-hmm. scripts, there is no reason for you to have those things installed. Or you know, so so even if I'm doing an NPM install locally and rather than an NPM CI only production, like there's just yeah. So there's there's some of those things I would love to see like a blog article on, for example, because maybe you can prescribe. Mm-hmm. This is how we suggest you do this so that you limit dependencies, that you don't have extraneous things being installed, but then you also don't get dinged. Right. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's a great that's a great suggestion. I think we need more information for each of these detections to explain what you can do to, like what we recommend doing instead. I, I think what you're doing, it makes a lot of sense. You basically don't want to, you're trying to solve the problem you were complaining about earlier about too many transitive dependencies being installed by, 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 by like defaulting to not, to not install them unless they're, they're, uh, needed. So yeah, I think for this specific issue, I would 
probably try to do some dependency injection. So like you have the user pass in their own implementation of the module instead of like assuming it's going to be there. You could tell them like maybe they could they could pass that into the constructor and say this is the form the version of form data to use and I went and installed it and required it so that your package doesn't have to like require a thing that's not in its package JSON. But yeah, I don't know. We can look at that further. I'd love to get more of your thoughts if you find more of these things that you think it's being unnecessarily harsh on because we're still tweaking the score. Well, I'm I'm all in on this tool, by the way. I, I'm This is one of the first uh, dev developer tools in this category that I'm, I'm looking for the pay me money button right now, actually. Where is that? <laughs> yeah, we're we're... Right now, we're planning to make it free for open source and then charge for private repos. So if you want to install the, the GitHub app on a private repo, we'll charge for it eventually. But it's free right now while it's in beta. Yeah. Well, I would I would love to find out what that pricing structure is going to be because a lot of times what it does is it's too big of a jump. It goes from it's free to it's $10,000 a month. And it's like, well, I'm not big time. I can't give you $10,000 a month. Is there a $5, $10 a month plan mm-hmm. kind of thing? Which I, I don't know. I think you're you're targeting enterprise and you're probably going to get pushed into the enterprise price point. But gosh, it's if people could just start out not as mm-hmm. enterprise, but just as, you know, yeah, I'm commercializing this. Yeah, I want to I want to pay for this product. Yeah, I know. I mean, as, 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 a, as a person, as a developer myself who wants to use this and like would want to use this on all my projects, even the couple projects I have that are private, like I don't want this to be a thing that normal like people can't afford. So I I totally agree. I want there to be I want it to be accessible to people. So uh, for all sure. right. I'm going to derail us on to the end of the show. Yeah. I just <laughs> wanted to add really quickly when you were talking about the how much it's maintained. Sometimes that is an indicator if you know, for example, that the Node API has changed and you want to know that this library is going to be compatible with those changes if they've deprecated mm. or dropped anything. So, so it's not enough. It's it's something to pay attention to. But yeah, different projects are going to have different life cycles on them. Anyway. Let's let's go ahead and do picks and then we'll figure out the scheduling for the next part of this because, yeah, I mean, I have questions about a handful of other things related to this that are kind of new topics. That's why I didn't want to bring them in because I didn't want to trigger another half hour's worth of talk on it if if we can just do another episode. So let's yeah, let's hit the picks and then we'll hit the schedule. Hey, folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. Steve, do you want to start us off with picks? Yes, I will start us off with a pick. First of all is a version of Wordle, you know, the the little popular word game. And there have been many variations of it. I've talked to two people in the Vue community that have done variations using Vue with slight tweaks. But I found one yesterday that was really funny that instead of guessing a five-character word, you try to guess a SHA-256 hash. And it's really, really (laughs) funny. So uh, it's called, uh, I got to find it again on here on Twitter. But yeah, it was, uh, here it is. It's a GitHub repo. It's just a page from a GitHub. Passwordle is what it's called. So I'll put the link in there. And then you know, the highlight of the dad jokes, you know, in the past, I've always talked about my sordid work history, like when I got fired from my first job at a bank, because an older lady came in and asked to have her balance checked. And so I pushed her over. So anyway, I was Oh, gosh, I just lost my my joke here. Give me a second here. Okay. So in the past, I, I always liked Valentine's Day. And I used to open a lot of letters on Valentine's Day. But that was why I got fired from the post office. Thank you. And then last question, what do you get when you cross a police officer with a skunk? 
Law and Order. <laughs> so, I was a big Law and Order fan, so that's why I liked that one. Anyway, that's it for me. Don't laugh. It only it only encourages him. <laughs> I heard him laughing, so it's too late, Chuck. Sorry. I didn't realize that we were we were doing stand up for our picks. Uh, I don't know if it qualifies. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Amy, what are your picks? Sorry, I had to find the mute button. Okay. I don't know if anybody can hear this noise behind me. I've been like trying to look through my picks and like all my starred stuff is Kubernetes related. And I'm do it. Of, I'm so, I'm so no, out of the picks. I don't know. I'll drop one. I haven't really had a chance to look at it, but it's basically like chaos engineering for your cluster. I'll drop a link for that. It looks kind of fun. Definitely would want to spin up my own cluster and not do this on a work one. Unless I'm the one on call that week, then maybe that would be fun. But. But going back to this noise that is probably going off behind me. So I am sitting right now because it's been a very busy morning. I usually do it. I have a Peloton and I usually ride that every morning. I didn't get to do it today because I had uh, prod stuff I had to do early this morning. And when I get done with my ride, I usually put these things on my legs, which is what you can hear. And they're called uh, Normatec compression sleeves. Um, they're <laughs> Ross is nodding like he knows what I'm talking about. So I'm sitting in these right now, and it's usually like you can go usually to a place near you. It's like $25 for 30 minutes. I just use my HSA card to buy a pair myself, so they're pretty expensive. But if I was paying $25 a pop to go, then I might as well just pay for my own pair. But if you're, you know, a little bit athletic and like to push yourself like I do, they help tremendously. So you can think of them, they're like this giant like blood pressure cuff, but they go around your legs. And so after you get done with a workout, they're just like help speed up recovery i swear by them so that's the noise if people can hear that behind me and that'll be my second pick holy cow yeah those suckers aren't cheap at all (laughs) they're not (laughs) but i was like i haven't been because of covid like i don't do a heck of a lot anymore i haven't traveled since like 2019 so i haven't been to the doctor in like three years i have an hsa my hsa card covered all of it Um, So, yeah, I mean, I I try to invest my HSA. So I did, you know, it's $800 or however much those things are now that I don't have in my HSA anymore. But heck, like when you have an HSA card and you have like the less expensive insurance from work, like just getting sick twice is going to be $800. So, you know, I figured I'd pay for pay for them that way. So, yeah, this this thing looks awesome. I'd love to try it. I'm a I push myself way too hard all the time. I'm like a weekend warrior because I never get time yeah. to run during the week. And so I'll go out and do like a, like an eight mile run on, on Saturday and then I'll just be wrecked for the, for the rest of the week. Yeah. I would say try to find a place near you that has a pair and you could try them a couple of times, make sure that you like them. And then if you do, I mean, like I said, I was paying $25 to go a couple of times a week. So it pays for itself eventually. Yeah. I've been doing triathlon yeah. training, so I'm kind of in the same boat. My Peloton is the the indoor rider that I put my tri bike on. <laughs> but you'd be surprised what you can what you can buy with an HSA card. So yeah, that's That'll awesome. Be my, my, that's my sub tip, I guess. <laughs> Very nice. Was there anything else? I don't want to cut you off. No, no, that's it. Okay. I I might jump. It was very nice to to see you all. I yeah. haven't been here for a while, so hopefully I'll be back again soon. We missed but... you. <laughs> yep, totally. All right, AJ, Bye. what are your picks? Bye. <laughs> So first and foremost, I'm picking socket.dev because this is I've heard of that. This (laughs) gives you such great overviews. I really I want to have some chat with you at a band for us about, well, basically things that you know we're already discussing. How do we how do we get the score to look better for things that actually are really good and not get 
false negatives. Yep. And then I, I'm actually, I'm going to ask one more question real quick. Is there some sort of like a, a, some sort of config file that you can say, hey, it's expected that this should use the network. It's not a, it's not a potential vulnerability. It's, yeah, this is, this is a request library. It should use HTTP. That's, that shouldn't be a flag. Mm-hmm. Is there like a socket.json uh, or something like that you do? We don't do that yet, uh, but that's that's a good idea. I mean, I think you have to be you got to think about the the use case where you have a malicious person publishing the package and saying you know everything's fine. You know, so there's a little a bit of balance, yeah yeah yeah. But yeah. But, ju- but just to say you know like like typically on the phone it says well why do you want to use why do you want access to network because it's going to check your mm-hmm. email you know it, it, does it make sense does it not make sense kind yep. of thing. anyway I'm also going to pick you know, because we're in this vein I'm going to pick Bundle Phobia which is this nice site that also tells you how scary your dependencies are and it and it does it in terms of weight how what what the size is how many kilobytes it is transitively per per the package and transitively and then there's another site which i had actually pasted into the chat but then the chat got deleted because i had to refresh because i switched networks let me see if i can grab it real quick it is npmgraph.js.org, which is like bundle phobia, but it gives you the scary visualization of how those transitive dependencies look in terms of breadth and in terms of depth and in terms of, I guess, cyclicity as well. But you can see how everything relates to each other. So I'm definitely going to pick those couple of things. I'm so glad that we had you on to talk about socket.dev. This is quite amazing i am and, and it, it shows you it even shows you co-maintainers which is a good metric of how how involved is this person in the community you know it's just oh so much good stuff here yeah. i love this i love this <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna pick saga.dev again <laughs> oh man you're being too nice but by the way let me know if you have other ideas because like we want this to be like the dream like mm-hmm. package search site like i don't know why the npm website hasn't improved since like five years I've, not to to rag on them too much but like it feels like there's so much potential for interesting data to show on these pages. So let me know if you have other good ideas. Well, I've, I've got an idea I'd like to discuss with you out of band, but basically getting getting paid source. I, I think we just need to do an episode on that, AJ, because it sounds like you've got some ideas around it and I'd like to give it proper air. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm going to jump in with some picks and then we'll let Faraz have his turn. So I usually do a board game pick. I think I might have missed the board game pick on the last round because I was fired up about something else. And I think I also picked Encanto last time, but we're within the same week. And so it throws off my whole schedule. So I'm going to pick uh, Seven Wonders as as the board game this week. And Seven Wonders, uh, you kind of have this uh, cardboard placard, I guess, in front of you that has a wonder that you're trying to build. And then you build your city and your city gives you resources and you get resources for just playing. And then you can also build armies and you get points for your army size at the end of each round. You get points for buildings that you build. You get points for like buildings that match in specific ways, like there are different sets that match in certain ways. And then you get points for basically uh, uncovering your wonder. And so this is one of those games, honestly, and I think it's hilarious because most of the time I'll be playing a game with somebody and I know if I'm winning or not, right? I, I can usually tell. This game, I never have any clue until the end of the game when we tally up the points, right? Sometimes I have a feel that I did better than normal, but that's better than normal for me, not that I was winning. So anyway, it's it's a fun game. It's a rather popular one. It seems like a lot of folks that are into board games have it. So uh, I'm going to pick that. And then uh, the other pick I have is Air Meat. 
And so AirMeet is the system that I'm going to be using to run the workshops, conferences, and meetups on top end devs. So if you're looking to level up on stuff, most of the workshops that I have scheduled are career focused, right? So the first one is kind of long-term planning your career. Like, where do you want to end up, right? Do you want to you know, end up doing open source stuff, you know, company stuff like for us? Or do you want to be a speaker and podcaster? Or do you want to be kind of the hero, the tech hero at whatever com- company you work for? Or and, and the great thing about it is, you know, we'll talk about how to evaluate that so that you're heading towards something that'll make you happy. And then the next one, I keep getting asked, how do you stay current? How do I stay current? Which often translates into what should I be learning next? So that's the next workshop. I don't know if this is going to come out after those, but my I'm pretty well committed to doing a workshop every week, you know, unless I'm on a family vacation or something, you know, something that I already have planned. It looks like I'm probably going to be doing them on Wednesday afternoons. But anyway, you can go check it all out at topendevs.com slash events. And I'm planning on, on inviting other people on, right? So I could foresee, you know, inviting Faras on and having him do a workshop on how to make sure that you're app secure or, you know, have somebody else come on and do a workshop on that, whatever they're good at, right? Uh, and I have, uh, I'm good friends with a lot of people in the community that have a wide depth of knowledge or wide breadth of knowledge, wide depth of of experience. So anyway, looking forward to that. But AirMeet's what we're going to run it on. And the reason is, is because they have a feature where you can effectively open up tables and let people get on and talk to each other. And I feel like the networking is just as important as the content. And I want to open that up to people, especially since I talk to people and I'm like, you need to go to a meetup. And they're like, well, I looked and there was one here, but they haven't done it since the pandemic started. And I, I just find that exceptionally disheartening. And so I, I want to open that up to people. And, and the, the upside of this, too, is that you get to meet people all over the world. So anyway, those are my picks. Uh, and all of that will be at topendevs.com slash events. Like I said, I'll have the workshops, the meetups, and the conferences as we get that together. All right, for us, what are your picks? I'll start by picking Fetch in Node.js. So the Fetch API landed in Node 17. And that means that we can... No longer, we no longer need to install node fetch or any of these goofy polyfills anymore. It's just the next step in how node is becoming a browser. Uh, <laughs> but um, in this case, it's actually good. I think, I, I think that the fetch API is actually quite, quite good for, uh, for like a built in API. And so um, having that just be available in node will make that be one less like thing you have to install, which is a good thing, I think. So that's, yeah, I'm just excited about that change and I can't wait till I can actually use it in my in my code also shout out podcast so there's a podcast called darknet diaries that i highly recommend have any of you guys heard of it yeah i've heard of it multiple times i've listened to it but i've heard it mentioned elsewhere okay yeah you would love it every almost every episode is is gold it's like basically it's stories about cyber crime but the host is is really good at explaining things in a clear way and an understandable way so there's not a lot of jargon or if there is it's explained well and then it just gets into the people behind it. So he'll interview oftentimes people who are either like criminals who went to jail and they'll talk about like what their story of how they, you know, got into internet crime, spamming, you know, selling drugs on the dark web or whatever. And you get this glimpse into a part of the like cyber underworld that you normally just, you know, you normally don't don't get because you actually get to hear from them. And then, so it's just really, it's really interesting. And then they'll also interview security, security, like industry people who do like really cool stuff for their job. So they'll interview, sometimes they'll interview people who like do incident response. So like, they'll talk about, you know, the time that 
a big company got hacked and like what they did, like what it was like being in that room and what are the kinds of things the attacker was doing and how they were trying to stop it. Um, so it's all just like really good narrative. Like basically every every episode has a really good story to it. My Some of my favorite ones were episodes that they had about uh, physical security. So there's actually a job you can have where you go and try to break into banks and the bank pays you. So that's like just, I didn't really know that much about that. And just hearing about that was super, super interesting. You know, they'll their job was like, find a way into the bank. Uh, and so they'll just scope the bank out, you know, find the door in the back that isn't open, uh, you know, that, that sometimes is left open, or they'll they'll use crazy like James Bond contraptions to like break into the to the building. And then they'll talk about how they'll, they're trying to find a computer to plug their USB stick into. It's like a, it's like a movie, but it's like real life. So it's, it's pretty fun. Um, highly recommend it. And then I'll also just shout out one other podcast called Risky Business, which is if you're if you're trying to get into like the security industry and just learn about security, um, it's it's kind of a fun weekly news recap of like all this cybersecurity kind of news and events from the week. Yeah, those are my picks. Awesome. One more question for you. If people want to connect with you online, where do they find you? Uh, I'm on Twitter, just for us. My name is for us, F-E-R-O-S-S. You can follow me there or my website, frost.org. And, you know, socket is uh, socket.dev. Those are the URLs. Awesome. All right. Well, we'll, uh, we'll get part two scheduled. And then until next time, folks, Max out. Adios. See you later. Adios. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.